Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with an expert who works with individuals and companies to find their rhythm and voice as leaders. It is a privilege to be welcoming Mona Vogel back to the show. Mona is a multifaceted professional speaker, trainer, and consultant. She is a classically trained musician, former radio DJ, and veteran leader and trainer from Southwest Airlines with over 20 years of leadership and training experience. She understands the art of building an epic leadership team and what it takes behind the curtain to retain that top talent year after year. Mona's speaking engagements and teachings ring with the fervent message that success isn't just about spearheading an operation. It's about a genuine connection with your people. Mona teaches that relationship to our work and each other is the ultimate fundamental. To neglect its importance implies a strange expectation that you can pack the house and then bring it down with an incredible performance without rehearsal, sound check, and knowing the band. Everything she composes is poised on the subject of leadership because whether stellar or shoddy, leadership has a reverb effect that impacts everything from personal well-being to office culture to the bottom line. It's no small task to be in charge of the vocals and the beat, and that's what she helps leaders do, find their voice and lay down their rhythm, but make it so others can hear the music. And in doing so, they don't just create harmony, they completely rewrite the score. It is my pleasure to welcome Mona Vogel back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again. So in our last episode, we talked a lot about your background, about leadership, the importance of relationships, and we talked about your musical background and how it ties into the work that you're doing today. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about a subject that a lot of folks and who are listeners of the show love to hear about, and that's lawyers. Um, (laughs) For better or worse, um, we would love to hear about your experience in the context of the work that you do what your exposure has been to and work has been with lawyers and what their involvement has been in what you bring to organizations. Okay. Well, you know, I I don't work specifically with lawyers, um, but um, all through my corporate leadership roles, the general counsel has often been a part of what I did in one way or another from, you know, a training or compliance perspective. Um, I, I think in any, in, in any industry or profession, including the law, uh, the first thing to do is just to recognize really the difference between management and leadership. Um, you know, management really is just more about tasks and strategies and, and, you know, executing a plan or creating some sort of predictability and order. Um, and leadership is really designed to take on uncertainty and unpredictability. And you, you, man, you manage things and you lead people. And that's true in any profession. But what I find interesting um, in, the, in the legal profession is that there's this additional factor that might be a challenge. And that's this natural tendency for skepticism. 
And I mean that. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean that in a good way. I was going to um, say, how did you ever pick up on that? Yeah. I've been, but I mean, when you think about it in the context of leadership, I, I think it's one of the things, one of the things that makes leaders great. I mean, uh, lawyers great. But that natural instinct to kind of dig deeper and find the truth um, might be a, a bit of a challenge for leaders in law firms. It, they, they might find that they struggle when they're um, trying to create buy-in for their vision or uh, manage through change or something like that. It's not impossible, but I can certainly see how that would make it a little bit harder and uh, maybe most likely make it take a little bit longer to achieve. You know, one of the best things I learned at Southwest Airlines was that uh, you know when you put people ahead of product, uh, you make more money. And I think the challenge for law firms is that you don't make a product that you can hold or, or, or take home or use. It's, it's not tangible. I mean, your best assets are your people. And, and these people can make or break you. And so building strong relationships that create that culture of trust in the firm is really essential. And knowing how to fully develop them you know, they come right out of college and right out of law school and develop them into uh, teams that fit your culture, that are engaged and productive and accountable and, uh, you know, just consistently architecting a better future is what's going to differentiate an average firm from one that's just crushing it day in and day out. You're absolutely right. And you've mentioned some really important points about what differentiates lawyers um, in terms of their mindset. And, you know, another interesting aspect to the conversation is the whole concept of risk mitigation and identifying risk. And I think it dovetails very much with what you said about the, no, the normal tendency of lawyers to be skeptical. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really think that those are attributes that make great lawyers great lawyers. Right. Um, but they don't necessarily help in the department of opening yourself up enough to develop those great relationships. And another right. thing that I think when you look at the personality profile, the typical personality profile of lawyers is this discussion and this dichotomy between being introverts and extroverts. Yep. Uh, there are a lot of lawyers who are introverts and um, you know, choose their preferred method of communication to not necessarily be um, in large groups of people or even necessarily one-on-one -on -one in person communications. I think it's a lot easier these days with technology being what it is for people to hide behind things like email. Yeah. And, um, you know, those sorts of things, while they could be helpful in terms of completing projects, they don't necessarily help facilitate or foster relationships among people at a firm, or frankly, they don't really sometimes significantly move the needle in terms of people who are lawyers developing relationships with clients if they right. choose to be more impersonal in the way that they communicate. Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, it's, I just heard a story this, this weekend, um, and I know David Weiss, he's a, a speaker in the National Speakers Association, a uh, very, very successful man, but he's an introvert. And I heard uh, that he said one time we were talking to some other speakers and we were actually talking about extroverts versus introverts and, and what makes a better speaker. And David made the, the, the statement one day that he is, he's an introvert. He said um, he would much, you know, because extroverts are, 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 are the, the people that want to go to the parties, right? He said he would rather sit home and read a book then go to a party. And then he changed it and he said, no, wait a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change that statement. 
I would rather sit home and read a bad book that I've read three times than go to a party. <laughs> and yet, as that introvert, he is one of the most uh, successful speakers in the industry today. And so I don't know that introvert versus extrovert really makes that big of a difference if you recognize what your preferences are and surround yourself, like we, we mentioned on the first, uh, first uh, take of the call, um, that you, you surround yourself with those people that can compensate for what you prefer not to do. And so, you know, if you've got a, a lawyer that is an introvert, I, I would question how they could really stand in front of a jury and, and argue a case or in front of a judge. Um, but they do. And it's no different than David Weiss getting on a stage in front of 5,000 people and giving a phenomenal keynote speech. It's you, you, you find it in you and it comes out and, and it's not a performance um, because there's a difference between, you know, like an actor or an actress doing a performance, but it can be looked at as a performance. And so I think there's a challenge there that we as leaders kind of have to look at the, the language we use. Oh, he's an introvert or he's, a, he's an extrovert and really look at what that means instead of what we think it means and then compensate and, and build around the, the, the strengths that those two bring, the introvert brings and the extrovert brings. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting because on the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTJ, but I'm really much more, I think... I'm on the cusp of introvert, extrovert, but if you talk to my husband, who I've been with now for 20 years, he'll tell you that I have much more introverted tendencies than extroverted tendencies. That being said, you're absolutely right. A lot of it is about just being aware and being mm -hmm. self-aware and knowing who you need to be and what you need to bring to any particular situation. And I affectionately call it flipping the switch, yeah. where you know you go from letting yourself sort of be who you are in your natural state to flipping a switch and being who you know you need to be. And it's not that you're not authentic. It's just, right. you know, sort of, I would say, putting on the stage or moving into pole position, um, those aspects of who you are, you know, making those more front and center depending on what the needs are for a particular circumstance. Exactly. And for some people, it takes time. I mean, it, it, it really takes a concerted effort to develop those skills that you don't have a preference for, but it certainly can be developed and learned and, it, and, and you can be very successful at it. So how do you bring out, I think that's a great segue for um, the next part of our conversation, which is how do you work with uh, leaders to bring out the best in them? And how do you work with organizations who are interested in developing either existing leadership or developing that next generation of leadership? How do you work with organizations to bring out the best in their leaders and to figure out how best to bring a pipeline uh, to the fore of, of that next generation of leadership? Well, I think without a doubt, um, in order for companies and organizations today to, to really develop um, a good supply of leaders to just be more effective, is to place a high priority on leadership tra uh, training and development and, and just mentoring, period. Um, we have, on average, of about 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. Um, and that's our seasoned, tenured leaders that are, that are leaving the workforce. And nearly half of our workforce um, is going to be millennials by 2020. 
And so having an insufficient level of kind of ready talent to lead is, is what I think one of the most significant strategic op and operational risks for any organization today. I mean, closing that leadership skills gap is going to be critical for companies moving into the next three to five years. And the key is to select the right program. I mean, there's more money spent today on leadership programs than any other corporate training. Wow. And, and yet, two-thirds of the executives that I talk to today don't feel like their leaders are ready to lead their organizations into the future. And that's scary. I mean, and I think it's because they're training them and not developing them. And I, I really try to, to focus on the language that they use and the way they see how they're bringing these leaders uh, up through the ranks. Because training really just, um, it just instructs people to do something the right way or the correct way, right? By, based on policy or standards or um, it typically focuses on things that are compliance related. Right. And, and that's needed. True. I mean, leaders are, you know, but leaders aren't trained. They're developed. And so the bottom line for organizations is, is really to develop their leaders um, into people that really innovate and are forward thinking and individual thinking people through coaching and mentoring. That doesn't happen in a training or a, work, or, or, or a workshop. I highly encourage uh, leaders today in my consulting uh, or uh, organizations to give their leaders a mentor. Because they'll hit a wall at some point. You can develop them all you want and you can train them all you want. But they'll hit a wall and they'll make a mistake and they won't know what to do. And it's okay. I mean, it happens to all of us. But a great mentor is, is, is key to preventing that leader from backsliding, you know, into old habits or, or just getting frustrated and leaving. Uh, retention is huge today in all, across all industries. I mean, 60% of millennials today are looking for another job. And one of the biggest reasons that they cite for that is because their leadership skills are not being developed. So we really have to take a hard look at how we're approaching this as we move into the next few years. Well, and I, I think you make some great points and, you know, the difference between training and developing is very similar to the differences between mentoring somebody and sponsoring them. Right. On the training side, I agree with you that a lot of organizations just sort of chalk up offering either access to or actually in-house training programs. And they often think that by doing so that that's effectively check the box. And my, right. and my experience, and you know, please tell me what your thoughts are. I, I, I think you will agree that when it comes to developing leaders, there's obviously the training aspects to it. There's an element of needing to have a certain number of years of experience of just living in a job, living in a career, living in a profession where you see certain things that but for you actually seeing them and having to live through them, no amount of training is going to give you the insight that you need to navigate. And a lot of it is not just the training and the knowledge, but it's also being able to feel your way through a situation, using your intuition, using your ability to, um, to, to display and experience empathy that I think really helps distinguish the good leaders from the great leaders. Absolutely. And I think that it, it really is more of a focus on 
the coaching and the mentor side of things, mentorship side of things, the training is, is, is it's an easy fix. I mean, you, you can train somebody how to do a job. Um, law school trains these young people how to um, navigate the law and how to understand the law. But when they get into the firm, that's when the true learning should happen. That's when the true development should happen. And it's not just developing them into, say, for example, the best lawyer they can be or the best doctor they can be. It's really about developing, developing them into the best lawyer they can be in that firm. So I, I can't emphasize enough how strongly I believe in, in coaching and mentoring. It just doesn't happen enough. And like I said before, it's, it's that back burner thing. It's the one thing that gets put on the back burner because we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day life. And when you develop these people in a way that they can multiply you, and what I mean by that is that they can start to take on some of the responsibility that you have, it, 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 it gives you momentum. And you start to build that momentum because you start building leaders within your team even though they may not have a leadership title, for example, you start building leaders that can multiply what you do and then they can take over some of these responsibilities, freeing you up to actually kind of step back from the team and look at the, the longer term vision of how you want to, to grow your business or, or, or scale. Those are all excellent points. And I actually wanted to pick up on a thread of something that we talked about a couple of minutes ago. You mentioned innovation. Mm -hmm. And I think we would be remiss in having an amazing conversation like we're having and not touch at least for a couple of minutes on the impact that the acceleration of technology and business and innovation, which underlies a lot of that, the impact that that has on leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you know, organizations, as we've been discussing, are dynamic entities and innovation now more than ever is pretty critical. And we know that whether change drives innovation or innovation drives change or both, um, it's, it's definitely the case that innovation impacts leaders and their effectiveness and what is needed from them in order to continue a business along the trajectory it needs to be on. What, um, how do you coach uh, companies and individuals to navigate change and to navigate through um, a landscape where innovation is really critical to the long-term success of an organization? You know, that, that is a critical um, question uh, these days for businesses because um, things are just changing daily. I mean, we have, we have more information coming at us on a daily basis today than ever before. And navigating through the change um, is really, in my mind, all about communication and lots and lots of it. Leaders within a company need to be transparent and keep everyone looped in on what's going on and, and communicate clearly and often. And, and that's what keeps morale high and it keeps, uh, it gives you stronger buy-in for whatever the change is that's happening. Um, it could be a change that is not war uh, welcome. It could be a change that's affecting your company or your industry uh, through no uh, fault of your own. Or it could be a change that you're bringing into the company because you need it. It could be a process change or a procedural change or a, a technology change. But it doesn't really matter either way. Um, the organization has to manage through that somehow. And the way to do that is through communication. And, and that's why it's so important for leadership to have that strong foundational relationship with their teams already in place 
before these big changes happen. Because the trust that's built within those relationships increases the quality of the communication. And it keeps things on, I, I don't want to say an even keel, but at least an, uh, a more even keel when change occurs. Because change typically tips things sideways uh, for, for at least a period of time. And you know, after training for more than 20 years, I've learned that, that really true change never really happens in, in a vacuum. And it certainly doesn't change if you just offer them a course or a workshop. Um, it has to be multi-layered. And so if it's a change that's going to require additional training or knowledge for your, for your employees to, to be able to move forward, then it has to be multi-layered. And so I have a comprehensive approach that, to everything that I teach, uh, including change. Um, so first, you just bring awareness to whatever that change or challenge is or the problem. And you can, you can do this through short meetings or webinars or town halls or, you know, anything, whatever works best for you and your, and your teams. And then you take a deeper dive into whatever that change is through some sort of, of training event, whether that's a workshop or one-on-one -on -one training or online training. Um, and that's where the knowledge and the skills transfer happens. And then last, you just continue to follow up with coaching and mentoring to make sure that there's retention in what was learned. And that what was, what was taught is actually being implemented. And that's when you start to see the behavior change. So again, no matter the, the, the change, whether it's uh, an outside change that's coming into the company through no fault of your own or one that you've put in place yourself because of something that you want to do, um, those three key categories, the, the, the awareness, the, the training, the, the skills transfer, and the, and the coaching and mentoring, coupled with communication absolutely works every single time. Great advice. And I've actually studied quite a bit about, about change management. Mm -hmm. um, I have an operations background. Um, I'm, I'm an operations engineer. And everything that you said really resonated with me. Obviously, the devil's in the details because all those points that you just raised, you know, depending on the organization, its size, um, the, the folks that are being impacted by the change, how nimble they are, all of these things go into um, to what you just outlined. But I agree with you that that framework is a pretty critical framework and is a good recipe for success. Well, and, and the one thing that cannot be missing is the communication. I mean, you're, you're, you have to be able to have that relationship that, that's built on a solid foundation of trust so that you can get your teams together and passionately debate the ideas and, and, and the change and the, and, the, and the things that are happening within that change. Um, they, they may not agree with the ultimate decision, but if employees are given the ability to share their ideas and have some skin in the game, they're going to buy into whatever the decision is, even if they don't necessarily agree with it. If they've been heard, and they've been allowed to contribute to the conversation, you're more likely to have that morale that stays high, <clears throat> excuse me, the stronger buy-in, and they're going to they're they're commit to the decision that's made. I agree with you completely, and those are really, um, that's very valuable advice, especially among our listeners who are either driving change or are part of the change in their organizations. Mm-hmm. So there's another topic that I would love to talk to you about because it's another topic that comes up often on this show, 
and that is navigating the multi-generational differences in our workforce. Yeah. And um, I think that we've been seeing this statistic, maybe it's been out there for a while, but I've heard it like literally five times in the past week, that we now have a workforce that is straddles five generations. Absolutely. Which I find remarkable. And I think this is the first time in history that we've had five generations represented for a whole host of reasons, including the fact that people work longer, um, they're healthier, they've got longer, longer expect, you know, life expectancy, and they just end up being in the workforce longer. Um, but obviously, I mean, there are some really wonderful things that can be capitalized on by having multi-generational workforces, but the secret is how do you leverage those differences in a way that people feel like they're being heard and they also feel like they're not in a combative type of a dynamic. How do you coach individuals and companies in dealing with these types of issues, particularly as they relate to leadership? Well, you're right. I mean, this is the first time in history that we've had four and in some cases five generations in the workplace. And most recently, I've been working in the uh, or with um, the property management industry and the real estate industry, and they are really um, seeing the the full brunt of of this change that's happening. And I think one of the first things that companies need to do right now is just look at the compensation and benefit structure uh, to meet the needs of a of the future workforce. Um, they they can't just assume anymore that that high pay and 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 basic medical benefits and a four hundred one k are going to attract and keep the top talent that they want. Um, more and more baby boomers are retiring, like I mentioned before, and it's necessary really for them to start focusing from an HR side um, on the needs um, and, the, and the desires of the Gen Xers and the millennials. But once they've even found that top talent and they've been able to hire it, then they just need to expand their communication strategies. Um, most of the companies I work for rely on sort of this one, one tiered strategy for corporate communication. Uh, mainly it's because it's easier and it, it takes less planning and, and less resources, but it's really just not effective anymore. Uh, boomers and traditionalists like me, I'm, a, I'm in the boomer category. Uh, we, we like verbal communication. We like people to pick up the phone and talk to us, right? But the Gen Xers and the millennials prefer technology. I mean, like emails, instant messages, even texting. And, you know, companies that start to communicate in these multiple formats and frequently uh, will be the ones that make sure that everyone stays in the loop and that communication is is solid throughout. Um, that's really the beginning of it. Um, and then just added continued training and understanding uh, for everyone in the in the organization about um, how each of these generations uh, value the workplace, what they value in the workplace, and and how that differs from themselves. And once they have that understanding, it's easier to cooperate and to uh, work as a team more effectively. So do you, I mean, I actually think that the multi-generational workforce, that there's a lot to be gained from it. It's been interesting watching that dynamic in a law firm because, um, and in some ways I wonder if working with lawyers magnifies that because I think that there are certain work styles, for example, that seem to be more pronounced in terms of those differences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you said, that millennials, post-millennials like to communicate differently. They like to instant message. They like to use social media. 
Um, I would venture to guess that I have a number of partners who, when you say social media, probably don't even know what that means. Um, So it, it, it does bring challenges, but I also think that if you create a safe environment for people to share ideas and for them to feel like their voices are welcome, that there's a way to bring people together where it's a much more collaborative dynamic. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, I, my, my original upbringing by the Navy Lieutenant was that command and control. And it was that, um, that work hard, keep your nose down, do what you're supposed to do environment. But what today we're seeing is, is more flexibility um, in the workplace. These millennials and Gen Xers, but millennials in particular, there's a lot more freelance. There's a lot more remote working. And, and so there's, there's a level of trust that has to be there when you've got somebody working remote um, that's on your team. In fact, the last company that I worked for, it was a property management company, and that was the first time in my entire career that my team wasn't in the same building with me. They were spread out all over the country. And so, I mean, I just thought, how do I do this? I mean, I, this, was, this was a first for me. So I really had to make a concerted effort to build relationships with them because it was harder not being able to see them face to face. Yes, there's the, the Zoom and, you know, we've got technology and Skype and we can see them, but it's very different than seeing someone sitting across the room from you. And so I think that the leaders of the future need to really understand that um, and, and some of them are, are boomers still. And the Gen Xers, even to some degree, have to understand that these remote, the technology-driven, the flexible work styles, um, it's going to be a challenge for them. But it's, it's, it's a very easy challenge to tackle. It just takes more dedication to build those relationships, to build the trust, and it just takes a little bit longer. I mean, that's what my entire business is, is building leaders of tomorrow, and I love it. I mean, I'm fascinated by technology and AI. And, you know, I think the great leaders of the future are going to be the ones that are the best facilitators in this virtual world. And you, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, just the speed of innovation that, that comes at us today across the world and, and everything is just changing so quickly. And it's exciting because, um, you know, tech, with technology, leaders can reach a much bigger audience than they ever have before. And they can influence people worldwide. But then it also brings its own set of challenges. Um, you know, just being able to navigate that remote world and understand how to not lose the human aspect of it in that digital world. All great points and actually a really good segue to what unfortunately is my last question. (laughs) And that is, it sounds like you believe that tomorrow's leaders, which really are the focus of the wonderful work that you're doing, that one of the many things they need in their toolkit is to be well-versed and comfortable um, with technology and where innovation is, is, is taking our world. So what makes you feel excited and optimistic about tomorrow's leaders? Well, I think it's what I just said, that, that, that as leaders, um, we can reach a much bigger audience than we ever have been able to before. And, you know, that influence is, is so powerful. When I talked about you know, the Rolling Stones on our last episode, you know, the generations of people worldwide that they have been able to over many, many decades influence. It's just incredible. And it's exciting that now as leaders, we have that ability too. I mean, even in, even in our own lives through, through social media, we can do that. And, and with more and more people 
working these flexible work arrangements, we're going to see an increase of people working from home. Uh, so the dynamic itself is going to create sort of an, uh, an autonomous workforce that's going to require leaders to, uh, to excel in sort of a, what I call a remote leadership role. And it, like I said, if you've, ne if you've never had a remote team, trust me, it's, it's different. And, and, and it takes a lot of dedication because, like I said, that command and control leadership, it's going to be a thing of the past. And it's going to be eventually phased out by a more natural, uh, influential style of leadership. It's, it's, it's more about connecting people to ideas instead of just telling people what to do and how to do it. And future generations of, of, of employees will be expected to be treated like leaders. So we need to start now and, 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 and build trust and autonomy and independence in the, in the people that, that, that we serve. I mean, one of the things I recommend when I, when I coach and counsel today or consult is just to start now and get ahead of the game. I mean, start empowering your, your, your teams and, and just lead with trust. Trust that they're doing the things that they're supposed to do. Give them that, that flexibility and that autonomy and that trust. Ask questions, um, but help them to connect ideas and, and treat them like leaders. And, and tomorrow's future will, will be much brighter than, than what we think it will be if we can just really just, like you said earlier, flip that switch and, and understand that it's coming whether we want it to or not. And just get ready for it today by really be believing in the people that, that we serve, that, that work on our teams, leading them with, with trust, and empowering them to be the leaders on the team that we need them to be. That was amazing. I am so happy that we had this chance to sit down and, and talk about some really important issues on leadership and I really hope that you will uh, come back and join me in a future episode. I'd love to continue the conversation. Absolutely. So Mona, do you have any closing thoughts and where can our listeners find you? Well, you know, based on what we talked about today, I think my closing thought for your audience would just be to focus on the individuals that you have on your team. How can I build uh, even if you have a relationship with them now, how can I build a stronger relationship with them? What does that look like for them? Um, learn what their true desires and, and, and their values and their goals are for their lives and for their work and try very hard to, to give them those, those desires and, and, and meet those desires. But more than that, just empower them and, and treat them like leaders of the future. As for how they can get in touch with me, I'm on every social media site known to man. Um, <laughs> it's uh, at Mona Vogel. I kept it really, really easy. Um, just don't forget the E on the end, like I said before. My website is MonaVogel.com, and I welcome anyone to go there and take uh, the free leadership assessment. It kind of guides you through a self-assessment, and then based on the results, um, I give you or return some advice on how you can improve in those areas. Well, and as I said in our last show, I am definitely going to be taking that assessment and look forward to having a conversation about the results. I look forward to seeing those results for you. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again so much, Mona, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person soon. You too, Christina. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed our great conversation with Mona Vogel and that you will join us next week. I am your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.